Great. Michael, welcome to the Product Market Fit Cafe. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Luca. Hi, Jessica. Great. Um, so, Michael, can you give us a brief intro of uh, who you are, what you do, um, and maybe a bit of your background before uh, Innovo? Sure. I'm currently a partner at a VC fund uh, called Innovo. We're investing seed stage uh, into founders from Central Eastern Europe. I used to be involved in two big um, online companies. One was called Foodpanda and it was an online food delivery company. And the other was called Booksy, which is a, a beauty services booking uh, SaaS enabled marketplace. So I have some operators experience. I've been building companies, raising money, and now I'm looking for great companies and investing money into them. Amazing. Um, so let's get to it. Um, how would you define product market fit? It's the question we're asking ourselves quite constantly. And uh, I know you mentioned in some previous episode, the definition of Mark Andreessen, which I think is very much showing that. But I would say product market fit is something you can see in the number, uh, in the numbers that the company is totally outperforming its peers. So, you know, when I have companies in my portfolio that are clearly at the PMF stage, uh, suddenly all the metrics start to work. Even though the operations aren't perfect, you have the growth, you have the leads, you have good conversions, and so on and so forth. So for us, it's very often looking for some particular KPI, which is important, that's beginning to grow very quickly. Uh, and, you know, very often we deep dive into retention and usage uh, to, to see the product market fit. Um, so it's maybe not like a definition, but it's our way to look that the product market fit is actually there. Okay, okay so let's go deeper. Sorry, Jess. Yes, go for it. Go for it. Super interesting, and I also wanted to to go one step deeper. Do you see um, maybe also concretely on one of the companies you mentioned? Uh, can you give maybe an example of what numbers you were looking at, or if there's like certain KPIs that always are more important for a certain industry? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So one of the examples which can actually be quite great because uh, in Booksy I was initially investing into the company before I joined them operationally. And when we met the founder, they had 100 um, hairdressers and, and other beauty professionals using the software. So it was very little. But based on that, we saw the number of something they called customer bookings. So the amount of bookings done every week by the barber's customers, which was like 10x higher than comparable marketplaces. And we knew what are the number of, of the marketplaces. Um, and this kind of showed us that the model of approaching this market via SaaS is the right thing to do. Because with uh, just a you know, few weeks of traction, the um, amounts, the value of the services that were booked through the platform was just extraordinary. And um, you know, once we saw that, we started digging deeper. We spoke to the customers we asked ourselves a question, is it a logical thing for the provider to use this kind of software? If I were in his shoes and would have perfect information, would I decide exactly the same way? And the answer was yes. And, you know, it's obviously all the other things you might look at, like their 
um, engagement week after week. Their um, impact on their economics of their business was good. Net promoter score was fine. The, the qualitative reviews were looking phenomenal and so on. So, you know, there is a mix of, of all these things, but it's actually, you know, the one number that was there was uh, uh, having the customer activity almost 10 times better than, than anybody in that industry. So what did it look like at launch? So how did you guys get to the first 5, 10, 50, 100 customers? Mm. So no, the first the first customers were actually acquired remotely because uh, the company had big part of the team in Poland and the clients in the US. And like it was iterating of different models. And at some point of time with one customer, one of the approaches was working. And when they saw that, they decided, okay, it's time to scale. And uh, this was the first 10, 20, 50 customers uh, which were mostly acquired via um, paid channels, some tests on the influencers. Um, but I, I think there are two stages, I would say. So first was, you know, getting the first ones when you don't really look at if any channel makes sense and it's getting to these 10, 20 uh, customers. Uh, and then you try whatever it takes and the cost of acquisition doesn't matter. It's just to prove that the product works. And then it's about whether you can actually get these customers in something that makes economical sense. Understood. Okay. Um, and did the idea change from the beginning? So like, was it, was the original idea create a SaaS platform for beauty salons? Like, did it mold or was it always like, this is, this is what it is. This is how we're going to scale it. It actually was different because everybody was approaching this market from a marketplace angle. So you had a lot of competitors that spent a lot of money and, and built like sizable businesses. Uh, but this particular business didn't really work for the typical marketplace. And there are many reasons I don't want to go so much deeper. And Booksy tried the same. They failed. So they started iterating really, really quickly. I have another example in a portfolio, which is, also, they did exactly the same. So they were actually competitive to my um, to the Food Panda, which I was running. And they saw they don't have as much money as the other competitors. So they effectively built like a CRM system for the restaurants. So it wasn't um, like that their business where there were, that they were in was um, in the wrong business model. It was actually uh, they found out they cannot really compete due to lack of enough funding. So they found something else within the niche. And I think it was similar with Booksy, but you know, with Booksy, they absolutely nailed it. Um, given like this was the way to go. And few years later, we saw other companies following the, the Booksy trajectory, but it wasn't designed like that from the, from the beginning. That is exactly what I wanted to ask. Uh, you mentioned now a couple of times uh, the word iteration and uh, it, it wasn't the same in the end uh, from, from the beginning, uh, which is probably quite a relief to a lot of founders um, that they have some time to iterate and try different models. Um, what do you, like, what is like your best kind of tip or for, for people um, that are still in this phase and what do you think is the hardest part 
uh, to get to product market fit? I think, you know, based on what I see, it's always a question whether you should give up or you should keep pushing on a particular idea. And it's it's a very hard to spot balance, whether, you know, if you took some assumption, you decided to speak to customer, you roll it out and you say it's not working, um, whether like two, three weeks is enough or you should push it for three months. Um, and I think this is the most difficult because, you know, if you push it for three months, you're going to do four iterations a year. If you push it for three weeks, you can do 20 iterations. But on the other hand, you you might have missed the persona. Maybe you have the right product. You just are not selling it to the right person, for example. This is a bit easier in a consumer or SME targeting businesses because it's easier to get to the customers much harder on the enterprise um, sales where even the cycle to get any kind of pilot or a decent feedback is just longer and you have uh, much smaller um, sets of data. Uh, so I think finding this balance is, and I don't think anybody has a perfect answer to that. Like if there would be, there, there would be great frameworks, but I think it's really about uh, being able to spot the signals uh, as quickly as possible and act on it. Yeah, that's a good point. I was I was thinking about my my company now, Index Health, which which is a medical company. Um, and one thing that we realized early on is that we were releasing tests super quickly, like every seven days type of thing. And then we came to the point where we realized, just given that we don't have enough data, we're not spending enough money, let's say on you know Facebook, Google Ads, or whatever it may be, or our traffic sources are essentially low, that we had to wait more right and so the biggest thing that's actually helped us is actually take like our sprints extended to two weeks at least for marketing um so it was kind of a balance of getting enough data to be able to do it so i feel like while while moving really quickly is super important it's also like critical to get you know enough data to essentially be able to make a decision um and i feel like a lot of people just are great at executing but ultimately it's it ends up being a guessing game you know what i mean yeah, I think, you know, it's it's sometimes with the channels very visible, like if you want to run paid social campaigns, for example, like you will start with particular targeting. And if you just iterate for one week, you don't give yourself a chance to adjust, for example, uh, campaign type, different targeting, etc. So it's it's just too quickly to to get the right answers, probably, unless it's like crystal clear that the answer is no, then, um, then it's worth going. But I totally, yeah. I totally think this is, uh, uh, this is right. And, uh, but I would rather say if I look at a hundred companies, it's probably 90 will be iterating too slowly than, and, and 10 will do it too fast. It, it's so interesting. Just to follow up there. What is, what does that mean? <laughs> That, because uh, I think that, you know, almost majority of founders haven't found product market fit. If you look at like the, the scale of people looking for funding, at least. So you think it's working because you have one, two customers that are happy. You have some traction, you solve some problem, but you don't really realize that what you're aiming for is much more customers attracted via the channel quickly, much better stickiness and so on and so forth. And uh, 
Therefore, you keep working on something uh, that's not able to become like a, a truly disruptive company. Because, uh, you know, you go, let, let's stick to the, to the Facebook campaigns that, that you mentioned. Yeah, you go, you attract whatever in consumer 20 customers. The next week you attract 25 and it seems you have it. The customer acquisition costs are acceptable. The retention looks okay-ish. Um, but uh, I think, you know, the, there are a lot of benchmarks like for, for all the industries. What should be the retention that the VCs expect? What should be uh, whatever, the conversion, etc. And I would say if you are not there, that means you haven't figured out... Um, uh, you haven't really figured out yeah it's not a product to market fit like these are not some made up numbers by the vcs that want to you know um show you that you're not good enough this is like based on the best companies that vcs invest in in the ones that are actually getting to the product market fit so if your numbers are not there um that probably means you haven't found the product market fit can you can you dive into what that actually means because I feel like a lot of founders, including Justin and myself, it's kind of like, you know, the VC black box. It's like, you know, what, like, what are they looking for? My numbers are good, you know, but it's kind of like, oh, rejection after rejection. So can you mm -hmm. give an example of what are those standard metrics that founders essentially should be aiming for? So, you know, it, it's different on a business model by business model, but just out of my conversation last week, you know, first, for example, Lena Raczycki recently uh, made uh, a survey among VCs what is good and great conversion from trial to um, uh, to paid project uh, or so, sorry from lead to trial. The other Andrew Chan holds a lot of metrics on the consumer businesses on daily active users to monthly active users. So how big is your engagement? And he's even quite explicit. Like if you show me these numbers, I will be excited. And so these numbers are are out there and. You know, we have like 10 or 20 different sources to get the benchmarks. Um, for example, retention. Um, I think I think also Lana um, has it for what are the targets for every different uh, type of businesses, whether it's enterprise, whether it's consumer, whether it's SME, and then what you should aim for at 12 months. And, you know, like if you run a consumer business and you're below 40% retention in month 12, or after three months, you see you're not getting there, like you will have a really hard time raising uh, your Series A later on. For the seed investors, it means they don't want to invest because the chances for the Series A are, are, are low and so on and so forth. So, you know, there, there are a lot of good sources with the benchmarks and expectations um, and we, we typically have it. Obviously, as a VC, you benchmark against your own portfolio. Yeah, so you know you have a couple of similar companies, and you want to see something that's uh, um, performing at least as good as your good companies uh, that can be considered similar. Yeah, I, I really like that. I always felt, uh, especially with our first company with Penta. We were somewhere a bit in the dark, right? Because sometimes also the business models are new. You build a business bank or a challenger bank, then 
um, it's, it's, it's hard to find like the exact metrics to compare it to. And I think only when, when Luca and I like the first time went into investing ourselves, we realized that there is quite a lot of material out there, right? There's like the mm -hmm. like SaaS funding nap napkin from Point9, which is quite helpful, right? There are like a couple of sources. And then I guess, as you said, um, every every good VC could, <laughs> could give this portfolio numbers to uh, to the investments they are making as a target, because I feel that sometimes, and maybe uh, you have an opinion on that. Uh, like it's actually two questions. Do you feel that the founders nowadays are aware of these numbers? They kind of know what's the the baseline they have to hit, so they are like educated enough on the metrics, number, and VC size. And then the second question would be: Do you feel that these? And I think a lot of people talk about current market. Uh, market uh, circumstances, do you feel that these metrics changed? Mm -hmm. So no and yes, no. I'm actually surprised that a lot of founders are not familiar with uh, the expectations. And, uh, you know, very often I give some presentations, etc., and just showing them like the funding napkin or linking to, there is recently a great uh, piece from Christoph Jans on what should be the burn multiple um, and the sales and marketing efficiency. Um, this is like really eye-opening for, but I would say the good founders, they do their homework and you can totally tell, first of all, no, I would say, first of all, you need to at least show you measure the right numbers. For example, uh, there is a nice framework from Rahul Vohra, the superhuman founder on how to optimize for your product market fit. And it's like a simple, uh, simple survey that you do and you know, I see the best people doing their new products. They follow that pattern. And it's something that's like understood by many VCs. So when you're pitching to VCs, it's also good to know um, what kind of KPIs and frameworks they, they like. Um, but also, as you mentioned, for that you didn't know what are the KPIs for the neobanks. I'll give you other example. We invested in an um, online tutoring marketplace. So we didn't know how to benchmark the retention, but we started with understanding how learning languages work and what are the cohorts of traditional businesses. And this was the benchmark to compare how is their online solution working against that. Yeah. So um, as a founder, you can show, okay, this is how it works in real life. <laughs> this is where I am if for some reason your, um, your numbers are different. And you asked... If these numbers have changed, I think you know right now they might the bar goes up a little bit, but I think not on the stickiness. It's more on the cash efficiency because the capital got more expensive, so it was basically um, you know much. You could allow to use more expensive channels and to have slightly worse cash efficiency in 2020 or 2021. Right now, um, it's it's basically much more looked at. So I would say that one of the new KPIs that's uh, on the on the overall efficiency of the company is the burn multiple that uh, almost everybody looks at. And I see this is being added to dashboards of my portfolio companies, one after another. Probably more than a half already has it in like a regular reporting, which wasn't the case a year and a half ago. Can you elaborate just for those that don't know what a burn multiple is? A burn multiple is uh, how much cash you need to spend to get $1 of uh, ARR. So if it's one, that means if you spend $1 million, you're going to add $1 million ARR. 
So it's the net ARR added compared to the net burn in particular period. Perfect. Um, and concerning concerning founders today who are looking for product market fit, um, but are you know not running out of cash necessarily, but you know it's going to be hard to raise a funding round right now. What would you recommend? I think right now, before you're really certain about the product market fit, you shouldn't scale, especially your commercial operations. And this is the thing that's um, uh, that's a bit different because, uh, um, like, it's gonna be a bit harder to raise uh, like Series A funding uh, or or the consecutive rounds, and uh, you need to make sure you can really show good numbers before you stop uh, before you start scaling for um, for something that's unproven. And I think it was differently a year or a year and a half ago. Like then the right strategy was to do things in parallel uh, because chance of getting the funding, even if you still haven't figured things out, was was bigger. Like uh, a nice thing I heard, it's, it's going to be a tough time for the maybe companies. So the ones that really don't have everything uh, checked. I would say let's hope we're not maybe companies then. <laughs> um, what uh, would you particularly, because you mentioned burn, you mentioned uh, not scaling the commercial organization too fast before you're not sure that you're ready to scale and you haven't hit product market fit. Do you have any um, recommendations on kind of team size, on concrete kind of team setup that you like to see in, in certain companies? I think it's it's quite a broad topic, but I would say you know ideally you need to have like uh, all capabilities in the team. Uh, so and the team shouldn't be too big. So probably at seat it's like up to twenty people. Um, so you need some people who are able to handle a couple of functions uh, uh, on a good enough level. Because uh, you're not able to afford to hire rockstar in in every field, uh, but it's very different. You know, for some companies, you need like 20 people in technology to deliver anything usable. In others, you can get with the product life fairly quickly. Uh, so uh, here, unfortunately, it's there is no like one size fit all um, benchmark. Great. Um, just to wrap it up. Uh, Michael, is there anything else you want to add, such as resources, books, articles, thoughts? Mm, I think I mentioned, you know, Lenny's newsletter from Lenny Rachitsky. Uh, a lot of good benchmarks there. Uh, we mentioned uh, Point9 and Christoph Jans. And I think Elad Gil um, also is, is having a lot of uh, good uh, tips on how to get to the, uh, to the product market fit uh, and so on. Uh, so probably these three and uh, and definitely you know I think uh, your podcast is a very pragmatic approach to that so uh, I hope the next episodes are going to be as insightful as the as the first ones yeah thanks a lot we actually started this because um, like out of selfishness we wanted to just speak to the best founders and just understand how they got there and then we just said, hey, why don't we just publish it and make it available for everybody? So a bit of a selfless and selfish uh, <laughs> initiative. Um, great. Um, Jessica in the chat was telling me to, to improvise and, and make a charming ending. But I told her I'm not very charming. So um, <laughs> I hope this is a good improvisation to end this. 
So thanks a lot for taking the time to chat with us. Um, we will add uh, some of the notes and articles mentioned in, mentioned in this episode. Um, and that's about that. So thanks a lot for your time, guys. Thank thanks you a lot. so much. That was super insightful. All right. Um, so I'm still going to keep recording. Um, we might publish this. <laughs> so how do you, how do you guys think, how do you guys think that went? What do you think we missed? I actually liked your, I loved your deep dive into the metrics and into the numbers. I felt it was very pragmatical and I feel if I would have listened to this like six years ago, it would have <laughs> helped me a lot. Yeah. So that's basically my benchmark here at the moment. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I actually wish we dived deeper into some of those metrics. Like, for example, um, lead to trial conversion or index is actually such an important metric. Um, mm -hmm. And at, at and then I remember at, at Penta, we had we had a 50 to 70% lead to trial. I think it's still true today. 50 to 70% uh, lead to trial conversion rate. And at index, I think we have something around, it, it ranges from like, you know, 25 to, to 40, basically. Um, but I was, yeah, like Jessica said, we were completely unaware of those metrics. And then once we heard N26 and Revolut, et cetera, had similar metrics, actually worse metrics were like, wow, we're actually doing great. Um, so I feel like people hide it, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, the, the one point we, we overlooked was on the cohorts. I think this is something I see the companies that are good at getting to product market fit. They have proper analytics on a cohort level very early on and then you can spot the differences that at some cohort you suddenly have an uptick in month two and that's something that's working and so on and on the other hand you can identify that you potentially have issues because then uh, your newest cohorts drop yeah as as we had the case to discuss so um i think you know people sometimes tend to not invest enough into having basic analytics and understanding so they're running blind and their iterations are not that effective because they, you know, save a couple of hundred bucks on um, analytics software, like not give, not adding amplitude or not adding uh, mix panel um, or or basically not having anyone in the team that can really get the uh, the right numbers in in front of them. So we. We look a lot whether the founders are looking at the right numbers and whether uh, they're optimizing for um, for the stuff that is that is relevant. Yeah, that's a good point. Because um, yeah, what what we saw at Index was was you know strong numbers overall, and then what we saw is that with our, our cohorts that were surpassing their third or fourth month, um, as you know, obviously, then we saw that dip in conversion. Oh, sorry, dip in a uh, dip in retention. And, and then that allowed us to actually dig much deeper into like, why are they churning? What's actually happening, et cetera. And, you know, what's funny is that we have obviously Armin, who's our CTO. Um, and he's a, he's a tech guy. Obviously we, we still haven't written the line of, let's say customer facing code. All the code that he writes is actually all about data, <laughs> like collecting ret retention numbers, metric, like, you know, churn metrics, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I feel like that's definitely overlooked. But I think we did that quite well in both Penta uh, well, and, and our new ventures, Jess. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would say yes. And also now with, with my new company, I'm, we're also super data-driven. But like what I'm seeing is like this huge difference, right, uh, from what you're doing, Luca, like, which is more like B2C or like at least direct-to-consumer. 
uh, whereas we are building like B two B two C, and it's like sales cycles, like you know that that are obviously uh, ready to improvement or ready for improvement, but they just take much longer, and, and the sales process is much longer. It's not it's not a one click purchase. So um, definitely gonna try how we can iterate faster on that side. Maybe you have a tip there as well, Michelle. I can't think of anything that <laughs> that would be uh, really insightful. Okay, sounds good, guys. Um, I'll probably publish this. I think this is actually helpful. Um, but cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's about it. So I'll just stop recording right now.